There's nowhere to run. There's no place to hide. This podcast is fun, but there are spoilers inside. Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. I am Penny Dreadful, lit here in an ominous sickly green, and I'm joined by my two guests, two returning guests to Terror at Collinwood, Madeline Marks, who of course you heard in the Dark Shadows Discord episode, and uh, Madeline went into the whole Discord community um, that she runs, and it's a really great episode, and I encourage you to please check it out and hear all about how Madeline got into Dark Shadows, and I am also joined by Patrick McRae, author of the Dark Shadows Daybook and the Dark Shadows Daybook Unbound, writer for the Collinsport Historical Society. I've had Patrick on the podcast twice before. Now he is tied with Ansel Farage and Mario Leary for your your a three timer on, on Terror at Collinwood. You you get a no prize for that, but you do have your Fawns jacket on, which I I sincerely you you both have leather jackets I do. on. I. I, I should go put mine on too. But um, this is a special episode. I think we're probably going to wind up doing a two-parter here because we have a lot to talk about in this episode. Uh, we are oh. going to be, yeah, we are going to be taking a look at uh, something that uh, Dark Shadows fans, for the most part, have not seen, uh, though they've wanted to see it. Um, uh, we're we're going to be diving in to the John August screenplay for the Tim Burton Dark Shadows film. Uh, this was the original version of uh, the script prior to Seth Graham Smith rewriting it and uh, with the directive of, of turning it into a comedic film. Uh, the John August script is not a comedy. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what I would call it. Uh, it's, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's not a comedy. Not sure it's the easiest way to call it. Yeah, yeah, there are comedic moments, but it's not a comedy uh and it's also not exactly a, a a gothic horror film although there there is that i would there's also like there's also kind of an action film <laughs> there's a lot going I mean, on i mean the horror film movie. kind of turned into an action movie in the last scene too so it's like yeah yeah, yeah true true yeah there's there's a lot to unpack here and we're going to talk about all of it um we're going to go th through a summary of the screenplay but before that all three of us um would like to put this out there uh we cannot share this script we were allowed to read it that's the best way i can put we were allowed to read this script we're given permission to uh uh you know dive in and, and read it and we we are kind of well acquainted with it i think at this point more or less uh, uh particularly madeline who's read it quite a few times at this point um but we uh i i'm all about sharing with the fan community i think that is a, an important thing uh when these things are become available i think it's important to share it with the fan community but at this time we do not have the ability to do that please even if you know us if you're friends with us Please don't write to us and ask us to share the script, even on the sly. We cannot do that. Uh, we can't break our word to people. Uh, the best we can do, this was this was our solution, was to talk about it in depth and really give you a rundown of what this thing would have been like, what might have been. Um, so I'd like to... Uh, Penny, can I, can I say that yeah. while we can't um, distribute this... John August script. I do have a Google Drive that has a lot of Dark Shadows material on it, uh, different 
a lot of fanzines that I'm scanning and stuff that other people have given me files and things like that. And we in there, I do have the um, script for the final version of the film that we see. And that yeah. is available in the Google Drive. And if you want to link that in this episode. Sure, yeah, if you would send me that link, I'd be happy to yeah. do that. Um, I'd also be happy to share the notes that I compiled for this episode. I have about uh, almost 16 pages of, of notes because um, I really want to dive into this. And this might be the only two-part episode ever of Terror at Collinwood. I don't know, uh, but I, I don't typically don't do that. Um, but for this one, I really, this might be the only chance the, the you know, fandom and the fan community ever gets to, I, hopefully not. Ideally, someday this will be available for people to read online. Currently it isn't, and we do not have the ability to do that, but we can give you uh, all, the, all the juicy details of what might've been here. Um, now, before we, we jump in, I want to give a little bit of context here as to why this happened and how John August felt about this screenplay. Uh, there was an article from October of 2012 where John August, it was in, on uh, an IndieWire article and also Shock Till You Drop ran it as well. I don't know which one ran it first, but um, the film, the original version of the film, uh, ostensibly was derailed because uh, it was it was at around the time of True Blood and Twilight, more uh, more serious takes on vampires. And supposedly Warner Brothers, I don't know if it was Warner Brothers or Tim Burton, but I think it was Warner Brothers wanted to do a comedy instead because there were too many other serious vampire things out there. So um, Seth Graham Smith was brought in to rewrite it. Now, John August was sad about this. He really uh, spoke highly of the screenplay. And this is what he said. He said, they came to me and said, let's make a big gothic vampire drama. I pitched that and wrote a godfather-like saga of the Collins family, and Barnabas was at the center of it all. It took itself seriously. It was set in 71-2 and leaned on that for a bit of comedy, but it played itself straight not as a comedy. I was excited to make that movie, honestly. I think it's one of the best scripts I've written. This whole comparison to The Godfather, and I keep, ever since that article came out, I've seen this kind of idea growing in the fandom, like, oh, we could have gotten this big gothic. Taking on life of its own. Yeah, yes, this big gothic Godfather-esque, uh, you know, epic film. And it's, to me, the, the Godfather is, you know, it's about Vito, Vito Corleone's rise to power as a, a mafia boss and then his son, Michael, becoming his successor. And I can see some parallels in terms of the family, uh, this powerful family, uh, uh, you know, in, term, in terms of the Collins family and kind of Barnabas being at the, at the center of this. Um, but and there's also the sort of this other powerful force and antagonists in the film. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know what this movie would have been. It doesn't feel like a gothic horror movie to me, but yeah. it has elements of that. It doesn't feel like it has some elements of action, but I wouldn't call it an action movie. There are fantasy elements. It feels like John August like read the synopsis of the entire Dark Shadows storyline from 66 to 71, then watched House of Dark Shadows, and then pulled elements from all of those things, tons. There are so many references and Easter eggs in this yeah, film. Yeah, there's a lot more. A lot more. And yeah, a, lo yeah. 
a lot more going on, a lot more uh, in terms of the plot threads going on in this film. Uh, it's, there's a there's a lot happening in this film. At too it, much. It would have been like two hour minimum runtime. Yeah, minimum. It, it, it would have been a long movie. Yeah, yeah, and but there there were so many um, uh, plot lines. I think con- happening concurrently. To, there were a lot of things almost yeah, competing. Yeah. It, it it's a movie that goes back and forth and um, teases a lot of stuff that isn't clarified until later. And it's kind of hard to talk about it or it, it's a, ch- I don't have your challenge to um, describe the plot because it's like, do you, do you start chronologically or like, you know, or do you just go beat by beat and reveal stuff as it's revealed to the audience? You know, it's. I'm going to just go through chronologically because that's, I'm going to do it the way it was. Like beat by beat as it's revealed. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, Before I do that though, just general takeaways, uh, general reaction. Do you feel this would have been a better film than what we ended up getting? I don't know if it would have been better um, narratively, you know, as an objective narrative, but I think it would have been less offensive to Dark Shadows fans Mm -hmm. Um, because it's played much, much more straight. Uh, It's it's not a comedy. So uh, it has that going for it, but I don't think it would have done that much better critically or to the general public. But I, I am very, very far from being a movie um, buff or so, so my opinion there might not count for much or be on the mark, but. Your, your opinion certainly matters uh, a lot here because you're a hardcore Dark Shadows fan. And to me, that, that qualifies uh, you to certainly uh, offer your insights. I think it's a much, as, and, and looking at the movie as a Dark Shadows fan and would it be a better movie for Dark Shadows fans I don't think I can say that I enjoyed it more than the 2012 movie that we got, mm-hmm. but I find it much more fascinating and interesting. There are some things that I really like that it does. There's one or two things, and there's some stuff that I think is, uh, I disagree with just as strongly as I disagree with some of the choices that were made in the uh, final version of the 2012 film. So it's, it's really a mixed bag and I can't say that it's that much better. It's just a very different bag. Okay. Cool. And Patrick, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, unless you are going to take a story and break it into four, maybe five, 25 minute segments and have each one restricted to maybe three or four sets with five actors per segment, uh, I don't think it's ever going to feel like Dark Shadows. Yeah. So I, the way that we know of Dark Shadows feeling like Dark Shadows, I think Dark Shadows is a lot about style. It's a lot about the structure of how we get it. I, I think that's that's too easily discounted. Very, very um, and so, so once you countenance that, nothing is really going to feel like Dark Shadows. And so for something that doesn't feel like Dark Shadows... I love this, and I I really like its kind of splashy, messy, gaudy, uh, you know, occasionally tasteless, over the top, almost uh, just frenetic 
desire to include more and more yeah. and more. It's like a, a cake that the little rascals would have made. <laughs> and and I feel like John August is sitting there thinking, I got one shot. I got one shot to make this, to put in everything I can. And in the face of all of the other vampire media that's come since then, put Dark Shadows on the map with a, a massive patent-sized flag for common court. Yeah, yeah. And and so I I love it for its audaciousness. I I you know it's we don't know what a later draft would have been. It probably would have been a little more disciplined. But I like the idea of someone sitting down to write Dark Shadows and saying, and yes, it also needs people with machine guns and snowmobiles. <laughs> I, my God, thank you. Yeah, I thank you, somebody. The, the excess of uh, so, no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah, if no, 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 if you're going to sin, sin boldly, exactly. And yeah. and I can say this, it sins boldly. And you know, no, it's not a comedy, but dare I say it, neither is what Seth Graham Smith wrote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh, man, yeah, yeah, one of the worst, you know, uh, bad comments jokes in the movie or, or remarks made it through i'm like really he that seth, that's what seth graham smith yeah. kept i'm like really um i was surprised when i saw some of the, the parts that made it through I'm yeah like, really it's like of, really? of all things that's what that's what made it through and they did keep some there are things in here there are a few things like in terms of plot elements and things that did carry over to to the final version of the film um i agree with both of you um i feel it's certainly i think it would have been like madeline said less offensive to dark shadows fans in terms of like how shocking the the whole comedic turn would have been i mean i feel like some even some of the um sort of soliloquies delivered by barnabas in the film are very fridian um you know they're there's in certain scenes um uh they don't play barnabas for laughs uh at all really they're i mean there are a couple of things there's not not much fish out of water stuff like a little bit but a little not, bit it's, not, it's used sparingly yeah yeah which is wise i think you you want a couple beats of that but I'd rather have less of that than more of that. Personally. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if John August was a Dark Shadows fan or if you just read a detailed summary, but some of the things he puts in are just yeah. like, They're wow, detailed. he knows about that. How does he know? How, he must have watched all of it or something because he puts stuff in even from like later in the series, yeah. early stuff. I mean, it's it's kind of cool um, to see that those things. Um, so, okay. Um, now, uh, one, one thing before we go on. Do mm -hmm. we want to try and, um, to avoid confusion, do we want to like do a thing where we try and refer to the script that we're going to be talking about as the script or the screenplay and not use the word film unless we're talking about the final version? Because yeah. already while we were talking, there was a, a moment where I wasn't clear whether you were talking about the final version. Oh, I see. I, that was my bad. Um, the screenplay. Yeah, let's refer to this as the screenplay or script and the Burton, fi the, the final version as the film, yes. the finished film that made it through to the film. Okay. Um, so are we ready? Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's in. buckle in everyone because this is, this is going to be insane i think my my main word uh here is that i wrote at the top of this page is it's bananas and i drew a little <laughs> banana because this thing is bananas all right so um dark shadows written by john august and dated well, august 12th 2008 
the opening of the film, uh, it starts with Josette running through the main woods minutes before dawn. Uh, it's April 1791. Josette and Barnabas stop atop Widow's Hill. He tells her not to fear him. It says his voice is measured and comforting, yet menace and grief are entangled in every syllable. Barnabas is going to bite her, but at the last minute, she pushes away and leaps off the edge of Widow's Hill. We see the churning Atlantic Ocean and see the title Dark Shadows. It then cuts to the main titles over a series of historical drawings, including a 1790 map of Collinsport, blueprints for Collinwood, diagrams for a witch chair designed by Reverend Trask, pencil studies of Josette and her maid Angelique, instructions from the secret handbook of the Leviathans, which are described as a Masonic-like cult uh, in the, in the uh, script notes, plot map for Eagle Hill Cemetery with an X marking the Collins Mausoleum, Collins family tree dating back seven generations, floor plan for Windcliffe Sanitarium, charcoal sketch of a young girl signed by Sam Evans, a late 1960s Amtrak Northeast route map, and then we push in along the line and we see a silver train, and we are now in the present, and it says October 1970. The voiceover comes up and says, my name is Victoria Winters. We see Vicky on the train, only it isn't Vicky, it's Maggie Evans. She's practicing her name. So let's stop there. This is carried over. This is one of the elements that is carried over. They do it in a different way for different reasons, but it is carried over into the film. Okay, the finished film. Uh, so she um, she asks the conductor if she looks like a Vicky. Okay, and so she's there's a reason though there's a there's an important reason in this script which we're going to get to as to why she's using the name vicky um in the film version in the finished film it doesn't seem like there's a, she's just wants to have a fancier name was that it because well, I, no, I, I i think it it was still because she was originally from collinsport and she didn't want or, or maybe it was just because she since she had escaped from the sanitarium she didn't want to use her real oh, name. Oh, right. Okay. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, smaller mint jelly. She's on. Yeah. You know, I haven't watched the Burton film since opening night uh, in 2012. <laughs> I, I watched it yesterday. So I could be oh, prepared. Good for you. I, I sh probably should have done that. I just, I need to steal myself before, before I dive back into that. Otherwise I will be leaping off Widow's Hill uh, along with Josette. Um, okay, so Willie picks uh, Maggie slash Vicky up at the train station. Uh, Willie is described as a back alley mutt, half crazy, but he's half drunk. Uh, he says Jason got him the job. Uh, Willie's car is filled with dirty shovels, pickaxes, and some rope. Collinsport is described as a working town uh, in the uh, script notes without any sprayed on quaintness. No tourists ever visit. The Collinwood gate is on sagging hinges. You didn't, you didn't do the spoon line. You can't leave Oh, go. What's, what was the spoon line. Please jump in and do it. Like the spoon yeah. line. Yeah. Do it. Yeah, at the, at the end of that paragraph, despite describing Collinwood, where it says it's a working town, no sprayed on quaintness, it said, like, it, it ends with, like, no tourists ever visit, no commemorative spoons are sold. And That's I right. love that description. I That's love that right. line. No yes. commemorative spoons. Allowed. No commemorative spoons are sold. Yes. Thank you for jumping in with that. Because yeah, there are things, definitely a lot of things I missed. So yeah, that's a great line. Um, 
Collinsport. Uh, okay, so Willie um, gets out to open the gate, asking Maggie slash Vicky to drive through. Um, there are lots of eight track tapes in the car, including uh, a fifth dimension uh, eight track. Uh, Maggie reaches under the seat and finds a gun, keeping an eye on Willie. She opens the barrel and slides out a single single bullet, which is pure silver. Aha! So we're already getting into this what's oh a silver bullet and we're already getting a hint as to some dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 supernatural elements here going on um do we, either of you have any comments so far on this opening segment about maggie and willie still too early no i i know i do but i wanted to give patrick a chance to answer if he had anything Oh, I want a chance to move this hookah so why don't you say something i always enjoy um, Josette having, a ver I always enjoy the version of the story where Josette chooses to jump off the cliff mm -hmm. rather than face being a vampire. So I was very yeah. happy to have that version, uh, to have that happen in this screenplay. I don't like the fact that they still have Willie be uh, sort of like he was in the final film where he's an older guy. He's kind of gross well, i mean it why <laughs> i don't know it agrees it's, it's a personal preference and most of my thoughts on this movie are going to be my personal preferences for, rather than uh, like literary mm -hmm. analysis or mm -hmm. story analysis because I, i'm not uh, an english major or a, a film major so i i don't have those kind of skills but I do have a lot of opinions on what I like and don't like. Please share. Yeah. Any opinion. I agree with you about Willie. Um, I, there's a tendency to depict Willie, I think, as a really kind of grubby handyman uh, type and character. It's just so funny to me because every single person I know who in my age who's into the show, they love Willie because he's an attractive guy who's they can like baby and feel sorry for and that's the appeal of Willie to most of the young Dark Shadows fans who are like millennials mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that yeah. I know at least I, yeah. I can't say that I can <laughs> everyone here but yeah I mean you uh, John Carlin was certainly yes. attractive um but he was also dangerous and there was a crazed look in his eye um John oh, yeah, no, I, I'm not I'm not denying that but yeah, I just and then but and then when he's you know when he becomes Barnabas's slave, then you feel for him because he's now experienced something beyond his comprehension. This is true evil that he has unleashed upon the world. He it's his fault that Barnabas yeah. is out and he's chain he changes because of that. And then so Barnabas himself, of course, also seeks his humanity and, and all of this, but Willie evolves as a character here we get this is more i guess the house of dark shadows willie where he's a he's a handyman and then they carried that over into the 91 series with Jim life I, yeah. I do understand why they do that in the mm -hmm. sense that there's so much other stuff going on you have so much less yeah. time to tell everything and that you need to flatten some of these characters and i completely understand and sympathize with that i just wish that they would give willie a little bit more dignity mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. He's sort of a almost a hybrid between, uh, well, it's like Willie, but with some Matthew Morgan aspect in there, I guess. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, Patrick, any other thoughts on on this? Well, opening? do you think they were informed by the Jim Fife? Possibly. Performance? Possibly. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Of course, you know, when you're my age and you look like I do, uh, uh, Jackie Earl Haley is the young hot Willie. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. This is all very relative at this point. I'm not saying he has to be young. I'm just saying <laughs> he doesn't Have look you, half homeless. I didn't. I, I no. know a lot. I, I know a lot of people loved Jim Fife as Willie. I remember at that time, a lot of people liked it. I was not a big fan of Jim Fife as Willie because I thought he was too comedic. Like Willie has comedic moments in the original series, especially when he's, you know, uh, watching Adam and stuff like that. And when he gets scared to to go do things, it it is humorous. But I thought Jim Fife was a little too Don Knotts, I think, when he was doing Willie. Yeah. <laughs> You know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of Jordy Verrill in Creepshow. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stephen King character. Yes, totally. Yep. Yeah, Jim Fife reminds me of Jordy Verrill. I can see that. Um, I can see uh, that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I don't know who that is. This is a, this is a, oh, Creepshow is a wonderful movie and and Stephen King plays a main redneck who gets infected by an alien spore and turns into a a (laughs) big plate of cream spinach yes um <laughs> that's a great way to describe uh, the um the the yes exactly okay. i couldn't have said it better myself okay okay so i'm gonna move on then uh collinwood mansion is described uh thusly it hugs the ground heavy a dragon curled in sleep its scales are shingles silvered by the sea air i love that description yeah. elizabeth uh, is the matriarch. Uh, she has not left the grounds in a decade. Uh, so uh, Maggie sl- arrives and uh, she meets Elizabeth and they have a scene together and there's a little, uh, you know, a little interview back and forth between uh, the two of them. If, if I can stop you here. Yeah, please. Go that is it. one of the moments that survives into the final film oh. where they have the exchange where, where she's like, how do you feel about the president? Oh, oh I've yes. never met him. How do you feel about the war? I don't watch TV. Uh, do you think the sexes should be equal? Heavens, no men will become unmanageable. Yeah, yeah. That is that that made it word for word into the final film. Okay. So and I also missed a, a part earlier on when uh, Willie is driving Maggie, Vicky to Collinwood. Um, we have the thing that we got in the final film where he she says, Oh, Collins, Collinsport. And Willie says, Oh, I never got that. Makes sense though. They've been here since Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, yeah. If you, I, I have not watched that. Like I said, I haven't watched that film in over 10 years. So I don't, didn't remember that, but I'm glad you, you called that out. Um, so um, Elizabeth tells uh, Maggie slash Vicky about the family. She talk, tells talks about herself, Roger, Carolyn, and David. Plus there's also Willie and Mrs. Johnson, uh, whose husband died at sea. We, we don't talk about that. <laughs> Um, she tells um, her that David disappears for hours at a time and is most likely down at the old house, the original Collins mansion. Uh, she shows her Barnabas's portrait in the foyer. Uh, he, he has his signature cane and a massive medallion around his neck. He looks like dark royalty. Um, the house, Collinwood, was a gift to Josette was mistakenly called Josephine in the screenplay in this part, but then I think he corrected it later. I, I thought that that was intentional and it was to show that Elizabeth doesn't really know her family history. Like that was intentionally the character getting the name wrong as a characterization. Yeah, okay, good, yeah. Because it's, it's Elizabeth who says in dialogue, oh yes, uh, you know, Barnabas built this house for his bride Josephine. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's entirely possible. That may, that I could see that Madeline. That makes, that makes because sense. It, it was dialogue and not a script note. Yeah. And, and, you know, the Collins family has, I guess, fallen so, so far, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. they're so, um, you know, reduced at this point that I could see that they're out of touch with their, their family history, certainly. And of course, as we know, the Collins family history has always been, confusing Not noted for its accuracy yes exactly yes um she tells her that there's no telephone because the storms keep knocking out the lines um and she says one thing you should know about the collins family we endure and this be this is a recurring motif i think it's mentioned at least seven or eight times, if not more, we endure. The Collins family endures. Everybody, Elizabeth says it, Barnabas says it. It's a recurring phrase that's mentioned in and this film. I think that they say that at the very, once at the very end of the final film. I see. Okay. So that, that, that. Well, they, I think they say it. At least once I, in the final I don't know. Film. I think they say it in the, in the middle of it. At Do some they? point, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think. At the organ scene, when Barnabas decides to rebuild, oh I, yeah, maybe okay. they say it there. Okay. Maybe they say it both places. I forget. I, the organ scene is one of my least favorite <laughs> scenes from the final film. So uh -huh. they definitely say it a lot in this uh, screenplay. It, it comes up again and again. We endure. Um, Barnabas meets. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Maggie slash Vicky meets Carolyn who has inherited her mother's tenacity, but none of her tact. She has a tigress trapped in a girl's body. She's uh, fascinated by the fact that Vicky is from New York. Um, and uh, Elizabeth tells her that company is coming over and it's Joe Haskell and Dr. Julia Hoffman. Who are all, so Joe Haskell is also a character in this. Uh, Joe, Joe made it into this screenplay and Dr. Julia Hoffman. So Maggie is alone in her bedroom. It's spooky. It's a spooky scene in her bedroom. She suddenly sees a ghost, which it looks like a, a little kid underneath a sheet with um, holes cut out of the eyes, and she thinks it's David. Uh, and so it's, she pulls the sheet off, but it's actually a real ghost who's crouching down. It's a man uh, who is crouching down, and he is uh, horribly disfigured because he has shot uh, has a shotgun blast to the face. Uh, this ghost through his face through his face yeah you can see out the other side and Maggie is unafraid she looks him dead in the eye and tells him she spent four years at Wincliffe because she saw ghosts and then she tells him she saw a lot of ghosts in a mental institution due to all of the suicides she grabs the ghost by the wrists and forces him to relive his own death which she can also see his name is Silas McGarren uh, and we have this flashback scene where uh, we see uh, you know, how he how he died. Um, then Maggie goes down to the drawing room and sees a little drowned girl at the piano. I'm sorry. Can I can I stop you? I was right wrote something down. Did you clarify that Maggie has the power to see how the ghost? Okay. I was gonna. Well, I was about to to address that. Um, okay, so. Sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. No, she also she goes down and she sees a little a little drowned girl uh, by by the piano. Now, so Maggie has the ability to see dead people. Uh, you know, she can see ghosts, and she isn't afraid. She's seen them for, throughout her entire life, and she has this ability to cause them to relive their own death. 
at which she has the ability to also tap into and see this is not something we've ever seen before yeah, in Dark it, Shadows. Yeah. <laughs> it's like she can reach out and touch the ghost. And by mm-hmm. doing that, she and the ghost both relive the ghost's last moments. Yeah. What do you both think of that? I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, it I think it's more interesting than what we got in the final film where she only can see Josette. Mm-hmm. I don't really have any other strong opinions okay. on it. Okay. Patrick, any thoughts? No. It's a I I think I think at first maybe John August was sitting there and thinking, my God, there's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of pat <laughs> to it's this. A, yeah. What would be the easiest way, the fast, hey, let's let her see ghosts. Think of how much I'll be able to get out of the way then that way. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it's an interesting plot element. And it lets her kind of be less of a, I don't understand. Agreed, uh, yeah. You know, just constant victim, information victim. Yeah. So I, my feeling is it probably at least started out that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 it definitely... Um, it empowers the character. Um, yeah. she, she it gives her more agency. She's able to suss out what's going on. She's she's instrumental in kind of uncovering some of the things that will happen later. Um, we so she sees this little drowned girl by the piano, and we'll get to her in a little bit. We also meet Roger Collins, who is described as vain, ineffectual, but he dresses well. Roger, when he meets her, mentions that uh, she looks like David's mother which is interesting. Um, Roger, I think his depiction in this uh, screenplay is closer to what we think of as Roger than what we saw in the final version of the film. I I think, I think he's more, I could hear more Louis Edmonds in the, in the lines, I think. Uh, and he's, not a horrible father like he is i think in the in the well in the original dark shadows in the early days he was a terrible father but he comes around um i feel like this is more roger who does actually care about his son versus the uh, one we saw in the film who clearly couldn't care less um all right so i'm going to continue on unless you have thoughts on roger here well, is it is that Roger in the in the Tim Burton movie knew he was in the Tim Burton movie and had to come up with any excuse to get out of it quickly? <laughs> yes, and that's what he there did. we go. Yeah, yes, yeah. Um, I mean, there are seeing there's some great scenes with Roger and Liz uh, bickering, like arguing here. That I'm like, oh, this is this is very Dark Shadows, you know, just Liz and Roger mm-hmm. having a having a disagreement a couple of times in this screenplay, and I I, I felt was definitely feeling that vibe, uh, which I I liked. Um, Maggie then overhears, Liz Liz has an office in Collinwood, um, and she overhears Elizabeth uh, talking uh, about someone selling to LVT instead of the Collins family. The guy she's talking to says they're scared. No one wants to end up like Bill Malloy. So there's there's a reference to Bill Malloy, a few references to Bill Malloy in this screenplay, which was very unexpected and cool. John August definitely did his homework. Um, but there's also, we're set, get, setting up the primary antagonist of the film. Well, one of the- Should I say it now or wait till later on? I don't know. We might as well. We might as yeah. well say it. Go for it, Madeline. <laughs> uh, the main antagonist of this film is not Angelique, although she is present. The main antagonist is the Leviathans. Yeah. Yep. 
and uh, <laughs> a certain reverend is involved. Yeah, I won't spoil too much at this point. Yeah. So yeah, um, that I think out of all of the things uh, I was shocked about in this, uh, I think that was probably top of the list that the Leviathans were the main villains of the movie. That was really unexpected. <laughs> I wasn't complaining about it though. I, I wasn't, no. I was not unhappy with the choice. It was an interesting choice. It was not one that I would have gone for. And I, yeah, I think that makes it a lot more it fun. It gives us something new. Yeah. yeah. It gives us something kind of new with this and great. Yeah. Yeah. We, we like, I like new things. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Uh, it's certainly an, a very unexpected uh, choice to to pull the Leviathans from the original series, and, and they re he August reimagined the Leviathans a bit, and we'll, we'll get to that. I mean, it's similar, but they're it's not exactly the same. Like the Leviathan monster is kind of reimagined uh, a, a bit, but well, we uh, we don't actually ever really no. see or deal with the Leviathan monster. It is just the followers and the cultists. The cultists, yeah, the, the humans in this organization it's very it's never confirmed whether there actually is a real leviathan being that they worship i mean right. there probably is but there probably doesn't is really, that doesn't factor choose, in. well when we find out who shows up again at the end it's sort of like well there is some they have connections he says yeah. <laughs> so, there's something supernatural uh, going on with them but something yeah mm -hmm. all right so um so but the the leviathans that have formed this, uh, I guess they have this front. They're a company called LVT, and they're a very powerful corporation that's trying to basically destroy the Collins family. They're trying to put them out of business. Uh, and we're going to find out more about LVT in a little bit. But that's something else that kind of carried over into the into the film, uh, except it was Angelique who had a sort of a competing cannery, I suppose. Uh, uh, I don't know if LVT is a, has a cannery. They're just this big company that's... What's that, Patrick? It's a it's a little more noble than basically fighting to see who can have the biggest tuna company in right. town. Exactly. Which yeah. is what the the Burton movie ultimately is about. Yeah, yeah. It's true. It's a true. little yeah. bit bigger scale. LVT is, yeah, they're it's more uh insidious. Like they just they want it's a it's a power move, like they just want to consume basically. Uh yeah, the, the Collins family. The Collins family is a part of that, but it is not solely a personal vendetta against the Collins family. They're They've just got in the way. a lot of other stuff going on, a lot of fingers and other pies. Agreed. Yeah, nailed it. Yeah. All right. So we meet um, the the guests arrive at Collinwood. Uh, we meet Joe Haskell, who is a bachelor fisherman, bearded and boyish, and we meet Dr. Julia Hoffman, who is brilliant but batch. <laughs> it's a, an expert in rare genetic disorders. Um, she likes plaths, poetry, and things that mix with bourbon. Um, Joe recognizes Vicky as Maggie, but doesn't say anything. Uh, they, she also knows him. They, they, they make eye contact. We finally get to meet David as well at dinner. Um, and uh, he talks about his mother. And this is a, this is a segment that also made it into the final film, although it's I think it's altered a little bit. He says he's, she talks about his mother. She's coming back. Um, uh, Carolyn says, next time you can jump in the fire with her. And he's talking about his mother. Uh, and then David says the terrible <laughs> line that made it through to the final film. Yes. 
Carolyn touches herself. She makes sounds like a kitten. It's like, what? Why? Of all lines to keep from this screenplay, why keep that one? Like, what? <laughs> That's no. the glue that holds the whole film yeah. together. Clearly, clearly. I'm sure, yeah, maybe Tim Burton was like, don't don't lose that line. Keep <laughs> keep, keep that. It's like, um, no. That's what I'm afraid of. Yeah, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, it could yeah. have been. I don't uh, know the, whose choice that was, but. The other one that um, made it in was when Vicky and Julia first meet and Vicky says to Julia, you are the doctor. And Julia responds, and you're the nanny and Elizabeth's oh. the bitch. Oh, how right. Are we, yeah. How are we ever supposed to advance if we keep reducing each other to labels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Stuff like that doesn't feel dark shadows to me at all. Like those kinds of lines just really jump out at me. And it's strange that those are the ones that they yeah. retained in the in the in the final version. It's like why why use those lines that are the least dark shadows esque lines from the from this? Um, but there, I mean, there it, there aren't a ton of lines like that in here. It's here and no, there though they show up. There's only up. one more. Mm -hmm. uh, there's only one more after this, and I'll, I'll wait to talk about that. Too yeah, to get to it. And please do if I miss it, please jump in with it because I I might have missed it. Um, so uh, Roger explains that David's mother died in a fire. Uh, she didn't die. She can't, says David. Julia replies, this is a line from the uh, film as well. David believes his mother has cyclical immortality, uh, which is a pretty cool line, I think. Um, uh, so we get references to Laura Collins here. Uh, she's not named, but uh, certainly it's obvious who they're talking about. Uh, we then go over to the drawing room uh, because uh, they're going to dance to records. Ah, the record. So this is another really. Roger strange. got his new hi-fi and he wants to try it out. He wants to try it out. So they go into the uh, drawing room and they play <laughs> Santana's Evil Ways, which is Carolyn's record. Carolyn dances with Joe. Roger dances with Maggie, but Roger does the twist. Hoffman tries to get <laughs> Hoffman tries to get Liz to dance, but Liz will not dance. Uh, Liz is very stoic. She will not dance. Um, this is another thing. Like I love. Okay, I love music from that era love love 60s rock and roll well always have but i always feel like with dark shadows it just feels so strange to me when they throw in uh stuff like that just because the original series i mean it's so those... far removed from yes. anything any of the pop culture of the day that yeah it, it feels weird yeah it does yeah patrick it should have been the charles randolph green sound <laughs> yes there we go. You know, doing number one of the Blue Whale. That's the yes. song. Yep. That would have been amazing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that would have been it incredible. It would have been so good. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mention... And it would have cost less. Yeah. It doesn't mention anything about Colbert's theme. I do like that the opening you see after Josette drop, jumps off Widow's Hill, you see the, the Atlantic Ocean crashing, and that's, you know, evocative of the opening titles from the show. But um, it, I don't know if they would have used Colbert's... Uh, Theme music they didn't in the in the um film in the burton they, film they, yeah, used no, the they, they one didn't theme. use it at all in the very yeah. opening they did like a single little flute yes uh triddle yep that was very covert-esque but that was it that was it yeah yep I, i'm kind of shocked that they didn't yeah do it i don't know why they wouldn't 
used a, a version of the theme, but um, maybe, I don't know if that's Danny Elfman's choice or Burton, I have no idea. Um, okay, so um, they're dancing and then we cut as this scene, happy scene of the family dancing, we then shift over to Eagle Hill Cemetery. Willie and Jason McGuire, who is in the film, is described as a con man. Uh, so there we are. That's good old Jason McGuire. <laughs> and Willie, uh, they're digging a grave. Uh, and Willie points to the mausoleum and says, the guy's buried inside. Jason says, the journal says that Barnabas Collins is buried underneath. Uh, they built it on top of him, along with his terrible fortune. And they don't know what the terrible fortune is, but we so we we know. Um Collins, we go into the Collins Mausoleum uh, and we see stone caskets and they're labeled Quentin Collins, Gabriel Collins, and Barnabas Collins. So we get references to Quentin and Gabriel uh, who are there in these stone, just like in the in the original show, these stone um, you know, sort of coffins, but they're, it's not um, you know, Naomi and Joshua and Sarah. It's we have references to Quentin and Gabriel. These, these, these are the only references to Quentin and Gabriel, uh, alas, but I thought that was kind of a fun little Easter egg there. Um, they use the rope and pulley system uh, and hook the pulley block uh, to a ring that's set in the wall. But this time, instead of opening the, the passage in the wall, uh, it lifts the stone slab on top of the sarcophagus here and the slab tips on its end then just keeps on tipping and falls over and crushes Jason McGuire against the wall killing him so <laughs> yeah Jason Jason gets and that is kind of played well, for a dark humor I think because the way it's described is Willie sees looks at his feet and as the he looks up the um the space between the slab and the wall gets less and less and then yeah. the part where Jason's head should be there's like half an inch or yeah something. yes yeah yeah so um so it kills Jason uh however Willie looks into the open casket here and it has no bottom it's just a ladder that leads down into the darkness below so this is the secret room in the mausoleum in this screenplay it's underneath back at Collinwood Joe confronts Maggie uh, and he says, even with the haircut, you still look like Sam's daughter. She says her father didn't die the way they said by smoking in bed. His throat was ripped out. Sam had a beef with the Collins family. Maggie's here for vengeance. Joe makes her a promise to talk to him first before she does anything. Carolyn, oh, this and this is outside Collinwood. Carolyn is watching them from the window in her bedroom and is jealous. Because she sees she she sees Maggie talking with Joe, so they're playing that whole early, especially early Carolyn. We get a lot of that kind of thing. Um, so Carolyn is sees Maggie and Joe talking, and she gets envious. So I thought that was kind of an interesting deep cut kind of yeah, reference and, to the dynamic there. Yeah, and Carolyn, who is still fifteen in this version of the story, being uh, infatuated with Joe in the screenplay is set up in the previous scenes as well like uh when they're dancing carolyn is trying to you know get joe into our and joe is you know very understandably um go you know humor in carolyn but you know carolyn's 15 and joe's like 27 so he's right. being yep. uh respectable in this situation exactly and carolyn is uh just a what's the word i'm looking for 
kind of a wild child kind yes. of. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so Maggie wants revenge. Maggie is here to get revenge on the Collins family. So this is her impetus for pretending to be Victoria Winters. And in addition to the whole Wincliffe thing, which we're going to get to, uh, well, we mentioned that too. There's, there's, there's that component that Sam Evans died mysteriously. Um, and, um, they said he died smoking in bed, which I think that was also a, a reference um, because in uh, the Laura storyline, there's Sam uh, falls asleep uh, smoking, right? And doesn't he burn his hands? Laura causes the fire to, to, to start. Um, I haven't gotten to that part in the beginning yet. So oh, I'm sorry. Work, I haven't seen you. No, it's okay. I don't, I don't care about spoilers. For okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, okay. <laughs> I got well, yelled at for spoilers before. I should have said that at the start of this. Spoilers for your fifty-year-old show, right? Oh, I know. No, yeah, exactly. Somebody gave me a bad review. Thank you. Somebody gave me a bad review because of that. Because I, it's fifty. It's, the show is over fifty years old. I mean, it's. You have to put the spoiler <laughs> warning on every episode. Now. There should be a moratorium for spoilers after what well, I don't know five years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, anyway, but, but I do it now. I put spoiler spoiler warnings. Okay. So Carol, Carolyn watches from the window back at uh, Eagle Hill Cemetery. Willie's at the bottom of the ladder in the lower crypt. The walls are rough and wet. Small silver crosses are embedded in the stone. A coffin rests on the dirt floor bound in chains. Willie pries open the coffin, breaks the chains. Inside, there is darkness. He lifts the lantern and all he sees is swirling dust. But suddenly the dust takes form, a hand thrusting at Willie. It catches him by the throat. The rest of a man forms behind it out of the dust. Dust uh, becomes flesh and fabric. Willie is knocked back against the stone wall and pinned by his assailant, Barnabas Collins. He's half feral, but desperately clinging to some fragment of humanity. Salvation, he says. Have you come to save me? Um, Willie, not sure what to say, uh, to for, so that he doesn't get killed, he says no with a question mark at the end. Barnabas slams him against the wall, knocking him out, and then looks up to the exit. So, end of that. This is Barnabas's big release from the coffin. Now, I prefer the classic. This is closer to the classic Barnabas getting released from the coffin, uh, certainly closer than what we saw in the film version with the construction crew, you know, digging up Barnabas yeah, and then. Uh Ronald McDonald himself. Yes, exactly. Yep. <laughs> Mephistopheles. Um, so Collins Pond. We cut to Collins Pond now. It's nighttime. Carolyn is searching for her hidden cigarettes under a pile of rocks. Over her shoulder, we see a figure. It's Barnabas. He attacks Carolyn. Fangs sink into flesh. Uh, in Maggie's room, she hears Carolyn screaming outside. By the time... Um, she get they get to the pond. Carolyn is dead, face up, floating no, on her she, back. She's not dead. She's not dead. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. She's nearly dead. She's been drained of badly blood. injured. Badly injured. Yes, she is seriously wounded, um, and uh, she's face up, floating on her back. Blank eyes stare at the moonlight. Dark blood spills from the wound in her neck, down into the deep water to the weeds at the bottom. Among the weeds, we find a skeleton strapped to a chair. Blood sifts through the bones as the skeleton's skull slowly turns, empty sockets staring at the surface. 
Roger finds Carolyn floating in the water. He's afraid to dive in himself. So Elizabeth wades in to retrieve her daughter. No, it's Roger- Maggie. I'm sorry. Oh, Matt. Oh, I'm sorry. Maggie swims out to get Carolyn. Oh, I thought it was Elizabeth. Okay. Thank you. Uh, So Maggie. Elizabeth may carry her into the house. Okay. Gotcha. God, thank you. Um, Roger helps her drag Carolyn onto the bank uh, as Julia examines her. Take her down into the room, says Julia, the room uh, foyer. Uh, Maggie says they need to take her to the hospital. Uh, But they do not do that. They go to, they push open, uh, Dr. Hoffman pushes open a section of the wall in the drawing room and revealing a hidden staircase that leads down. They go in, Maggie is bewildered. This, they go down into the treatment room. There's a refrigerator filled with bags of human blood. There's a hospital bed. Uh, They give Carolyn a transfusion. Uh, Maggie is perplexed by the blood bags. Julia sees the bite on uh, Carolyn's neck and gives Roger a look. Roger replies, I'll check. Up in David's room, the curtains are swirling in the moonlight through the window. David turns over in his bed in Scooby-Doo pajamas, and this is a recurring thing. Scooby-Doo is mentioned way too many times in this this screenplay. I love the Scooby-Doo mentions. I love Scooby. I love Scooby-Doo, but it's like, what's with all the Scooby-Doo? They check his, uh, Roger lifts his lips up and checks David's teeth, his upper lip, uh, and then we hear uh, Barnabas's voice over it, which says, we all fight the monsters within. And I think we're getting the the hint pretty heavily here of what's happening. But let's talk a little bit. I'm going to stop there and just check in here and hear what you both have to say about this sequence of events here. Well, I don't want to take up too much time because I see we're already gone through an hour. And yes, we have. And we're of the way through the script. I'm going to start blasting that. through this a lot faster. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm going to try and be very quick, but uh, right, so like right after this, Barnabas goes back to the crypt and he does the you know hypnotizes Willie thing, and I think that that's, I find this very funny to me, that inst- I don't know if they've just made it so that in this universe, biting someone doesn't make a thrall. Right. Because, I, mm-hmm. Yeah. If 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 that's the case, then it makes a little bit more sense, but. I just, the, the mental picture of Willie opening the box, Barnabas grabbing him and then ignoring him to run out, sprint out of the room to go find a woman to bite and then sprinting back to Willie to hypnotize him is just very funny to me. Yeah, um, it's it's more, uh, I guess, uh, conservative than the original show. Bite a guy, even yeah. though he, I think he does later on or something, but... It, yeah. it just feels uh, it just feels ridiculous uh, to me. Yeah, it's like if he's ravenous for blood, he's just yeah. been released from his coffin. Off. Yeah, after two hundred years, he's been released from his coffin. He's going to bite the first person he sees. Uh, and in the original show, it was Willie. Uh, in the House of Dark Shadows, it was Willie. In ninety one series, it was Willie. Um, so it's really strange that he would n- just knock Willie out and then run out into the night to go attack. Carolyn. Uh, I agree. Um, it's odd. Yeah, Patrick. He could smell the booze. He didn't <laughs> want to get drunk at whatever is floating around in Willie's scissors. Like, oh, I don't have a hangover. That's oh, true. Who would bite this version of Willie? Really? You know, it's... <laughs> good point. It's yeah. like, oh, God, that's a blended scotch. Yeah. Oh. Single malt only. <laughs> 
it is strange. Um, he does make him his thrall later, but he, it's, he hypnotizes him into being his servant. Um, but traditionally, it should be the bite that puts him in his complete power. But anyway, um, yeah, they do they do change some things here. Um, and like Barnabas can function during the day as long as he stays out of sunlight, which is something you don't see in the original series. I mean, for all, all intents and purposes, Barnabas that's, is dead that's during the, the day. Final, that's yeah. how the final movie was, though. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, traditionally, a vampire, I believe in Barnab and Dark Shadows, they're usually just dead during the during the day. Oh, there's one instance where Dirk Wilkins uses his even when he's in the coffin, he summons uh, Judith to come and yeah, that's, kill. That's not, I I never that's liked that. Enough, I'm yeah. like he's supposed to be dead during the day. Okay, so um, I'm going to try to get through this a little quicker because we are definitely only on page three of the of the summary here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go much faster. I promise. Okay. Um, all right. So back. Uh, so we have David in the room. Uh, back at Eagle Hill, the rays of dawn. Barnabas's voiceover. There is no unstained. He's continuing this monologue. We all fight the monsters within. There is no unstained good. No virtuous poet. To live is to sin. In the mausoleum, a shaft of sunlight in the darkness, Barnabas is fascinated by the wisps of smoke rising off his fingertips. Barnabas speaking, and so we bend towards that which would destroy us, lust, greed. It's not clear whether he's talking to someone or if this is some crazed soliloquy. Uh, God built us for his amusement, imperfect beings destined to fail, and so we pray. Putting hands on coffin, he continues his soliloquy. Willie is still slumped against the wall. Quicker than humanly possible, Barnabas goes to Willie and says, if God will not aid me, I shall become the agent of my own salvation. I will change. If man can become monster, then monster can become man. Barnabas hypnotizes Willie, making him his servant. He sends Willie to find his walking stick. Uh, but first, he must find the body of the young woman who he believes he killed by the pond. She'll be the last victim of this curse. Destroy the body, but find out her name. And so Willie says, so you're not going to kill again? Barnabas considers, but doesn't answer. Barnabas sees names on the wall. The Collins family, they endure. Four of them, I guess, says Willie. Barnabas says, they're strangers to me now. Dark shadows at the edges of my mind. But I will know them, embrace them as my kin. In the end, family is all that is left. Um, and back in at Collinwood in the kitchen, David and Maggie talk. Maggie asks David if he'd like to go to the moon someday. He says, it's too dangerous. I have bad blood. Roger enters. Uh, he's a jerk to Maggie. Uh, when she asks about Carolyn, he tells her he, she needs to do her job and get David on the bus to school. So David attends school here in this version. Uh, David uh, takes Maggie's hand. And when he gets to the bus, he yells, bye, mom, for the kids in the bus to hear, which is a little sad. Um, back at Collinwood, Willie and Roger carry Carolyn upstairs on a stretcher. Hoffman, Mrs. Johnson, and Elizabeth are giving them constant advice. They're holding it wrong, etc. In Liz's office, uh, we notice she has a mounted rifle along with various trophies. Maggie notices a painting of a young girl on a beach near a lighthouse. She says, Dad, she whispers to uh, under her breath. Uh, she feels herself being washed and turns to see the little drowned girl um, who uh, we will learn is Sarah Collins, the ghost of Sarah Collins. So Sarah is in this movie too. There are a lot of characters from the lore from the series that show up in this. Uh, Sarah Collins, she points to Maggie and then to the painting. She says, yeah, that's me. My father painted it. Sarah indicates a twisting motion toward the painting. Maggie figures out there's a combination safe behind it. Sarah holds up fingers to give um, the number 
of the combination. Back in Carolyn's bedroom, Julia says um, they have to restrain her. Liz won't put her daughter in chains. So um, Julia wants to restrain Carolyn. So there's, I mean, I think we've gotten enough hints here that we can say what's going on. David in this version is a werewolf. I think it's they don't, it's not subtle. I mean, there are so many hints to it. In the final film, it's Carolyn who is the werewolf. They, they decide to make Carolyn the werewolf. I don't know. I don't really, I think, I just feel like I love werewolves and I love the Dark Shadows werewolves, but I almost feel like, well, Dark Shadows had werewolves in it. So we have to have one of the characters be a werewolf. I don't hate the idea, but it's so odd. It's such an odd, there's no real Barnabas has a throwaway line later about it running in the in the family that it's a curse that runs in the family but yeah at least in the final version of the film we're given an explanation for why Carolyn is a werewolf Mm -hmm. uh that uh Angelique you know did something to her when she was a baby yeah Uh, but here it's just um he has the bad blood yeah he he got the recessive genes the recessive werewolf genes that run in the family. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's all the, you know, there is no explanation. Really. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole story. Yeah. That's a whole movie yeah. right there. Exactly. They're cramming too much in. They're already cramming too much in here. I agree. It's like, did we need David to be a werewolf? Like it wasn't really necessary. I mean, I, I know why they did it. We're going to see at the end why David is a werewolf, I guess, but it's kind of, it's, it's shoehorned in and they, they start shoehorning John August in this screenplay does start including, I think too many elements. Like you said, that could be an entire movie in and of itself, a kid who's a werewolf and, and is, starts transforming at a young age. Sure. I don't recall what draft does, does the cover of this say what draft this is? I don't believe so. Madeline? Um, it doesn't what say what say? draft. No, yeah. it just says the date, which uh, is 2008. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes screenwriters will, in the first draft of a screenplay, put every idea they have. Dan Aykroyd, when he did the script for the Blues Brothers, turned it in with a telephone book cover on it as a joke. Mm-hmm. It was so thick and had so much in it. <laughs> and he just wanted to get his ideas out there so then he could start cutting back. And I kind of wonder if that's what John August was doing. Maybe. Yeah. But, but this is such an integral part of the story. It keeps I mean, it coming up. It's an important thread throughout the films. I mean, the, the screenplay. So I want, I don't, it would have been difficult to I, remove it, but they might. It, it would have been. And I don't want to question the structural integrity of the author of Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, that's a vital, it's a vital piece of background on this. He did write Big Big Fish, uh, which I thought was was pretty good. But um, he did. But yeah, uh, okay. Liz says she won't put her daughter in chains. Uh, chains. Roger says, oh, but with David, you have no problem with that. Liz says we all know what David is capable of. He didn't do this, but there's another beast out there who did. Uh, Roger says, yeah, but the others were different. Uh, and Liz, he he. And then Liz says, devoured them. So David devoured his victims. Julia comes between and says they learned a lot from David and the transfusions may have, may have worked on Carolyn, uh, but it is best to be prepared with restraints just in case. Continuing on, uh, Liz's office, 
flipping through an account ledger, Maggie sees um, a reference to LVT and Sarah points to it. Maggie asks, what is LVT? Sarah holds up ghostly hands and Maggie takes them. Dun, dun, dun. There's a flashback. Robo, day 1791. 10-year-old Sarah Collins is bound and gagged, screaming uh, through the gag. Reverend Trask is in the boat with her. He runs his finger across her face, leaving a dripping line of purple squid ink. Men in the boat with Trask grab her and prepare to heave her overboard. Maggie asks, why would they kill you? Sarah leads her to the foyer and points to a portrait of Barnabas. Gravel road outside Collinwood. David walks home from the bus. Thunder rumbles. He hears a voice, help me, coming from the direction of the pond. David asks, mom, and goes. David kneels at the edge, listens, nods, understands. I know where to get it, he says. As drops of rain start to fall on the water, something skeletal swims past. Back at Eagle Hill, it's night. It's raining. There's a thunderstorm. Willie brings things to Barnabas in the mausoleum. Willie, did you get the radio? I left a radio for you. Barnabas, the box with the voices? A nod. I destroyed it. So kind of something that also carries over. They they played it way more for, I mean, this is kind of a chuckle here, but this, the, in the movie version they had him rip out the back of the tv and yell at the about the tiny songstress and all this but um but this is the the little radio joke here willie unwraps a bundle revealing the silver wolf's head cane willie reveals that carolyn was the victim he says she's probably your great great cousin or something barnabas laments that fate sees fit to punish me forever i've killed my own family uh very frid i thought fate seems fit to punish me forever uh, Willie says uh, she's not dead. Barnabas panics and asks where she is. Um, so when Willie says she's not dead, Barnabas freaks out here. Back in Carolyn's bedroom, there's thunder. Carolyn spasms. She's chained. Suddenly her arm passes through the chain. Uh, she doesn't break the chain, just passes right on through. Carolyn concentrates and disappears into a wisp of smoke, then materializes a moment later. She looks in the mirror and casts no reflection. With a weird laugh, Carolyn smashes the glass. Maggie hears it, checks in on Carolyn, but the window is open and she's gone. We cut to the Willie's station wagon. Barnabas and Willie are in the car. Willie's driving. Barnabas touches his hand to the roof of the car. She's moving. I can feel her heading toward the harbor. He leaps out of the car. Uh, we cut to a lighthouse and there's a small house near and the light is sweeping across in the in the storm here. Uh, Joe Haskell enters. He's drenched. There's no power. He lights an oil lamp. Carolyn's already there, appearing behind him. Hi, Joe, she says. Uh, Carolyn says that Joe hurt her. She says, I'm a woman, Joe. A woman needs to be touched. Which is just, just a stupid line. Uh, Joe, you need to go. Carol <laughs> Joe says, you need to go. Carolyn, why? So you can sleep with Vicky? Uh, light from the lighthouse hits her. She looks wet, half dead. There's a deep wound in her neck. He asks if she's okay. She says, no, I'm not. Suddenly, <laughs> she grabs him, kissing him. He tries to pull out of it, but she's much stronger now. Finally, he manages to shove her away and she backhands him. Her vampiric strength knocks him to the floor. There's a flash of regret. I don't want to hurt you, baby. <laughs> but then kicks him hard and throws him on the kitchen table. She, she rips open her shirt, revealing her fangs. She bites his throat. Dun, dun, dun. Barn there's now where uh, there's a flight shot from Barnabas's POV. He's flying through the air of a smoke. I don't know if he's a bat because I don't think there's any instance where he turns into no, a bat. No, I think it's all smoke in this one. Yeah. There's no mention of him taking bat form. It's just uh, mist or smoke. Yep. Mm -hmm. So Bar as a flight shot toward the lighthouse, straight into the chimney. Carolyn, Carolyn is feasting on Joe. 
Uh, she looks back, wiping blood from her lips, and there stands Barnabas. She asks, are you my father? He replies, no, a distant relative. Carolyn, but you made me. Barnabas, God made you. I destroyed you. If she wants to make Joe love her, Barnabas said, that's not love. Um, he asks if she's never felt it, uh, if she's never had a broken heart, never felt love for someone. She shakes her head. He says, of all these tragedies, that may be the greatest. And with a sudden move, plunges his walking stick through her heart and destroys her. <laughs> that is messed up. It's just like, well, I turned you into a vampire. So now I'm going to just. Being a vampire is wrong, Carolyn. <laughs> Let me I say, I made you and I can break you just, just as, as easily. easily. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. And he doesn't even use a sharp stake. He uses his cane. That's horrible. He shoves his cane through the, the stick of his cane through her heart. Then Barnabas retrieves his cane. He pulls it out, which of course we know, you don't, you don't pull the stake out of the vampire. What are you doing? But that's okay. I guess in this universe, that doesn't, doesn't matter because she, she's truly dead. Come back. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't go. She looks truly dead uh, after he stakes her. Then he retrieves the cane and goes to the wounded body of Joe. Saying he does this in mercy, he snaps Joe's neck, killing him too. So he he kills Joe, so, so he won't rise as a vampire, I presumably. Then Barnabas smashes the oil lamp and sets the room ablaze. Music carries us now to a letter of introduction narrated by Barnabas. Dear Mrs. Stoddard, I'm writing to express my profound sympathies at the loss of your daughter, Carolyn. <laughs> this is so messed up. Wow. Uh, I uh, as Barnabas's letter continues, uh, we're, we're now, um, there are scenes here. It's intercut here. We have scenes of Eagle Hill Cemetery. The letter is read over scenes of Carolyn's funeral in the rain, uh, which is very evocative of uh, House of Dark Shadows. I feel like they made Carolyn a vampire in this because, oh, they did it in House of Dark Shadows. So we have to, we have, to have Carolyn be a vampire in this. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and there's the whole funeral scene in the rain. And... But before, before we go on, can mm -hmm. I say that I really enjoy the um, the tone that they're able to invoke for the scene with Joe in the script. I don't like a hundred percent of the dialogue, mm -hmm. but the all all of the uh, the visual descriptions of the room with like the it's only being lit by the oil lamp and the yeah. passing beam of the lighthouse, the uh, the violence and the savagery it's that horror movie, Carolyn yeah. attacks Joe with. I all really like that. That all really worked for me. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's it has it's scary, you know, as it should be. It has that very scary gothic yeah. quality and the light hits her. When the light hits her, we see just how she looks. And uh, and then I like how it continues on over this somber scene of the rain and the and the funeral. And he says, um, Yeah, I'm struggling, I'm struggling to put it into words, but uh, I feel like for the rest of this movie and definitely the Tim Burton movie, it kind of trivializes what being a vampire means and i i that i really yeah. like this scene because of that it really brings home that you know even though barnabas uh you know goes around and does all this stuff where he's kind of being normal he's still this that's what he's capable of yeah yeah and you shouldn't forget that yeah uh, barnabas is always Barnabas is dangerous. I mean, he's a vampire. Yes. And I think sometimes yeah. people do forget. There are some fans that sort of forget that. I mean, he Barnabas can kill you. Well, you know, if he decides to, uh, I, it, he tries to fight that urge, but he will often 
he's a vampire, you know, it's, uh, he, that he does that. Um, and that, but that it's also that struggle that Barnabas has. And they're, they're trying to work that into this film at, at certain points. It's that anti-hero Barnabas, which is yeah. fun to watch, Although, you know. Even though he, he does a lot of uh, soliloquizing in this and lamenting, he feels too stoic for my liking. Mm-hmm. Like he he fights it, but he is already very resigned and almost at peace with the fact that he is still not where he wants to be. Yeah, yeah. And especially, I think, as we get to the end, he's just kind of just gives up at some point, which is yeah. Um, and what it's it's an interesting um, take here. But anyway, let's let's continue on here. Um, talking. He says he can't know what it is to lose a child, He's experienced, but he's experienced much tragedy, including the loss of his parents, his bride, and his beloved sister. In this letter, uh, Maggie watches the ghost of Sarah Collins sitting on her own tombstone, untouched by the rain. Barnabas's letter adds, they simply endure. Here it is again. Uh, Elizabeth chokes back a sob during the funeral, her stoic facade slipping. Uh, the letter reading continues as we go to Carolyn's room. Maggie and Mrs. Johnson are packing things up. It's a very sad scene you see a donovan poster on the on the on the wall and they're just packing up carolyn's things then we cut to the basement lab room on barnabas's letter continues scooby-doo is playing on the tv david is watching it, it says uh, it's the werewolf episode a whoa, 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 werewolf uh and as david watches this he makes sure dr hoffman isn't watching and concentrates on his own left hand his fingers thicken and curl into claws he can do it at will um, the letter ends, sincerely, Barnabas Collins, and a deep and resonant doorbell rings. Very House of Dark Shadows again, the doorbell ringing. Uh, in the foyer, Mrs. Johnson answers, it's Barnabas. She's sure she recognizes him, but can't place him. Um, he stands before his portrait. Mrs. Johnson, you are, he turns to face her, Barnabas Collins. Very evocative of the uh, Barnabas introduction of Barnabas in the series. Turns around Barnabas Collins. He meets Elizabeth and Roger. They say that details regarding Barnabas's namesake are murky about his past. Uh, Roger says he was around during the witch trials. Barnabas replies he fought against them, then fled to London. Uh, Barnabas announces that he wants to move into the old house. He wants to restore Collinwood to its former glory. And then he talks about, you know, how they're royalty, uh, you know, and uh, very kind of classist kind of talking, but I guess... They're super rich uh, family, old New England family. He says, a, a good ball isn't a celebration. It's a demonstration of power, social authority. It's how the ruling class stays the ruling class. Now, in the film version of this, the final film, they changed the ball to balls. Uh, and balls are a demonstration of, they made a stupid joke out of Yuck it. Yuck it up, everybody. Aha, uh -huh, so funny. I just can't. This family it. needs some balls. I don't get it. So, <laughs> I can't even breathe. It's so I funny. Get it. <laughs> So yeah, of course they had to go well, for the, I don't get it. the, the sixth <laughs> grade, sixth grade humor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. It's like, what? Um, who, who thought that Seth Graham Smith, which I specialize in and I wouldn't have put it in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, Elizabeth said they have no dragons to slay. Barnabas mentions a threat to the family business that he heard about LVT. They're more than a company, Liz says. They've taken every port on the coast. They keep a hand in our pocket and a knife at our throat. Barnabas says, I know where my work begins. Uh, exterior, the entrance, Maggie and David play Scooby-Doo. They're playing a scene from Scooby-Doo together. Um, and then Bar this is where Barnabas meets Maggie. 
They lock eyes. For his part, it seems like recognition. For her part, it's something unsettling. Elizabeth warns Barnabas that LVT is dangerous, and Barnabas says then he will have to be persuasive. Um, this is interesting. Um, you know, we have the scene where Barnabas meets Maggie and seems to recognize her, but then it gets kind of confusing later on um, because yeah. does Maggie look like Josette or doesn't she look like Josette? I'm not, it's strange how they handle that. Is she a reincarnation or not? That also yeah. is not clear. Yeah, right. It's, it's, they never really clarify any of that. Um, it's really strange. Wait, yeah. doesn't she look like David? mother also yes. yes she also looks like david's mother yeah yeah right she looks like everybody <laughs> so i guess david mother was played by uh, kathleen scott in this universe ah something. there we go <laughs> problem solved there that, that answers everything um yeah it's strange right I, I don't know um okay so now we cut to this lodge this is the lvt lodge it's set in the forest uh he indoor inside there's a boardroom Barnabas takes a seat facing a semicircle of seven LVT leaders. They're white men, 40 to 90 years old. He uh, he says he represents the Collins family. Uh, the old oldest man uh, thinks they finally want to sell to LVT. Barnabas tells them that their interference with Collinsport, the Collins fishery and cannery, and the Collins family in general will cease immediately, and that they will also pay $867,000, money that they have extorted for the last 10 years. They all guffaw. The chairman asks what they get in return. Barnabas says that he'll let them walk out with their lives. His straightforward delivery puts a damper on their levity. They converse. He's not armed, uh, says one of them, but there's a guy in the, in the station wagon. I think he's drunk, talking about Willie. Um, they ask for a moment to confer. Willie, we cut to him in the car. He's listening to the fifth dimension, Age of Aquarius, in the car. Uh, in the antechamber, Barnabas is waiting. Uh, he looks around and admires the artwork. Uh, that LVT has on the wall. It's a seascape and a mountain. And then he notices a bronze and bone horn in the shape of a seashell. Barnabas is fascinated by a symbol pressed into the metal. It is a sea monster, equal parts shark and octopus. But bear in mind, this is two years before Sharktopus came out yeah, on, <laughs> on the sci-fi channel. So if... Uh, Get of this time. First, folks. <laughs> so we, we know where they got that idea, apparently. I don't know. So we, he, they see he sees this uh, symbol of the sharktopus, uh, Barnabas, a whispered realization, LVT, Leviathans. The board members return. They tell Barnabas they've unanimously decided that he can go F himself. Um, they ask, do you know who we are? He replies, you're Leviathans. The room goes quiet. They ask where he heard that word, and Barnabas replies, from the lips of Reverend Trask, explaining how he and his brotherhood had sacrificed my only sister to appease an ancient sea god, a blood wedding before she was thrown to the waves. They draw their guns. Willie, back in the car, the song shifts to Let the Sunshine In, uh, and as the music plays, Barnabas vividly slaughters all of the Leviathans. The killing is methodical, so fast he seems to be in multiple places at once. Then, after he kills them all, Barnabas goes to the car and tells Willie they need to burn the lodge to the ground. Uh, so he's murdered all the Leviathans, or at least the ones in that room. We cut back to the breakfast room now. This is like the next day. Uh, Maggie overhears Roger and Elizabeth talking. She's in the foyer. Roger says he killed them in cold blood. Liz, don't be simple. They were murderers. I have no sympathy. 
and then Roger says, what happens if Barnabas turns on us? Elizabeth replies, he's family. And Roger replies, our family has a history of eating its own. Elizabeth says she doesn't trust him, but he's done more for this family in two days than you have in 20 years. Roger storms off. Very Liz and Roger scene. Yeah. I, I liked that. Um, Maggie comes to the table. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, were you going to say something, Patrick? I was just going to say a, a great line that they missed was, uh, are you including killing Carolyn? Oh, they don't know. <laughs> that they, they don't know that the... yet. They don't know yeah. that yet. <laughs> oh, that's true. They have a fun. They don't know who did it yet. They don't need, they don't know Barnabas is a vampire. Yes. Right? Barnabas does not come out and admit that he is a vampire right away. He doesn't ever plan to reveal that. Eventually yeah. they, they do find that out, but. Or at uh, least Liz does. I, I, yeah. But Barnabas so, never. Yeah. Barnabas never in the, in the Burton film, in the finished film, he just outright. You, he just doesn't try to hide it at all. Well, it's yeah, kind that's of... because he didn't kill uh, <laughs> Carolyn before yeah. he got to the front door. Carolyn. But this, I think this is, again, this leans more into the original series where Barnabas is pretending to be a cousin from England. He is not openly talking about being one of the undead, you know? Yeah, that's that's one of the humor beats that I, I dislike the most in the Burton films is yeah. all the ones where he goes to Liz and he says, I'm a vampire. Let's keep this a secret. I don't want anyone else to know. Can you, can I trust you to keep it a secret? And she's like, yes, I won't tell anyone. And then he spends the next 20 minutes where every single thing that comes out of his mouth is something that only a vampire would say. Yeah. And referencing the fact that he is a vampire. Yeah. It's, and it's like, why are you talking like this? It's so bad. I, I, <laughs> I thought you said you didn't want people to know you were a vampire. It's, it makes no sense. I don't. And he's like, oh, if this was silver, my hand would have exploded because I'm a vampire. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And it's weird that they went, they went there too with that, yeah. with the silver but, thing, with the cane. Yeah, that, it's like, well, the cane can't be silver because it's like, come on, like. Yeah, that, that's a small thing though. But yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. Right. Anyway, yeah. Um, let's go back to this. Um, well, you. Oh, yeah. Go for it, Patrick. I was just going to say you solved that with the fact that Barnabas has a glove. Mm, there he we go. Uses a glove when he has cane. There and then go. there's a great moment when cane falls on his other hand, or he has to grab it and he burns himself. <laughs> there you go. And that's 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 how they figure it out. Now that scene with the Leviathan boardroom, I, I really like, and it's yeah. very reminiscent of the series in that when a storyline needs to be wrapped up suddenly Barnabas springs into action. Yeah, yeah it's you true. You know, that's, that's true. Like turning down the, the antique shop. The antique shop, it uh, totally is, yep. I'm convinced when you look at the ages that are referenced in there, that was going to be the scene for Pennock, Storm, Selby, mm. and Frid. Oh, I bet you're right. It, I think clearly. 40 to clearly. 90, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. yeah. I never thought about that before, but mm. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I could definitely see that. Yeah. So we go back here to um, Maggie and David. David doesn't want to take the bus. So he, he hides his backpack. Uh, Maggie ends up giving him a ride in the station wagon. No, Maggie, oh. Hide, oh. Maggie hides the backpack. Oh, Maggie hides the backpack. Okay. I was blasting through this to try yeah, no, to no, no, no. get the notes no, Maggie, in the time. Maggie is a very active uh, uh, person in this script in terms of moving the story forward and doing yeah. things. Uh, she hides the backpack so that David misses the bus and she has to take the family car to drive him to school, which then she has access to the car and she 
goes off and does her own little investigating in the car, which she wouldn't otherwise have access to. Right. So Thank you. Just, Thank you. Sets yeah. that all up. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I kind of, I just put Hyde's backpack. So thank you. Um, um, Maggie stops by the ruins of uh, Joe's house. She looks through the ashes and finds a picture of Joe. She feels a hand on her shoulder. It's Joe's ghost. His neck is twisted. She wants to know who killed him. She takes his hands. She sees Barnabas impaling Carolyn with his cane and then mouthing words she can't hear. He snaps Joe's neck. Maggie is stunned. She goes to the lodge next. Now we're at the lodge. There are these ghosts wandering around, not really realizing that they're dead yet. Um, she takes the dead chairman ghost's hand uh, from the Leviathans, and she sees Barnabas, fangs bared, killing every man with his bare hands, superhuman speed and strength. She sees he's not human. Maggie to herself, he's a vampire. The chairman ghost nods. So the first reference to the word vampire, I believe, here in the, in the screenplay. Uh, we cut to the dining room. Elizabeth talks about how lobster was poor people's food. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, no, that, yeah. that's real. It's true. Yeah. It's, oh, it's odd that, that it comes up in conversation, but I, I guess- I think it still kind of was poor people food in the 60s, or I'm not really sure when was that it? cultural shift happened, but I, I feel like it was sometime after the 60s, or that it was still, it was very mm. recent, or I don't know. Barnabas is there with them. He says he ate before he came. He keeps trying to make eye contact with Maggie, who avoids uh, his gaze. Hoffman questions Barnabas. She asks him how he likes America. Uh, it's been years since his last visit, he says. Ha -ha. Um, uh, she mentions that American women are more repressed than European women and aims a gaze at Vicky slash Maggie. Liz says that Julia needles them without mercy and without reason. I don't know why Julia is like this with them. She's just kind of kind of a jerk to them uh and teases te teases them a lot and I mean, i'm sure that was he, written with he helena. has job security yeah so. yeah 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 and i'm sure they had helena bonham carter already in mind for the, to play julia because i can hear her voice when i read i'm not hearing grayson's voice when i read this i'm hearing helena bonham carter for sure uh Dave, we notice david is missing from the table Outside, Maggie goes looking for him. She goes to the old house. Barnabas follows her. Barnabas and Maggie talk. She's afraid to turn her back on him. He offers her a tour, and she says she needs to find David. Over at Collins Pond, David has poured more blood into the water from the blood bags. Uh, we see something swimming away. They're setting up this uh, story here, this other storyline. Um, in the drawing room, uh, Maggie and Dr. Hoffman are there. Maggie decides to tell Dr. Hoffman that Barnabas isn't who he says he is and neither am I. Looking through the window is Barnabas who watches them. Maggie feels uh, bad for deceiving Liz and Roger, but was convinced they were involved in her father's death. Julia says, if anything, it was LVT or ruthless killers. And Maggie replies that Barnabas killed them. Carolyn, Joe, uh, he, he's a, and she's reluctant to say the word. Uh, she says she doesn't think he's human. Julia says they'll get to the bottom of this. Trust me, she says. Then Maggie's room the next day, during the day, she hears noises outside. Uh, the ghost of Silas McGarren, who we met earlier, the guy put a gun blast to the face. Um, he's watching out the window. It's the police. Hoffman is talking to three officers. Uh-oh. Maggie goes down in her robe. Hoffman takes her by the arm and tells her they're there to help. Officer asks if she's Maggie Evans. She says yes. 
And then they say, by the authority of the state of Maine, I'm remanding you to the custody of Windcliffe Sanitarium uh, until she isn't a danger to herself and others. And they drag her off to Windcliffe. So I guess Maggie went to Windcliffe a couple of times in the original show. So we got we got to get Maggie back at Windcliffe, I suppose. The, the abruptness of that made me laugh yeah. the first time I read it. And uh, when when we go on, we'll see that even though David is literally a werewolf, yes, <laughs> uh, they they completely write off Maggie's accusations of Barnum's being a vampire out of hand. They're like, oh, she's crazy. That what the only crazy person would think that we're not even going to consider the possibility that he's a vampire. I Meanwhile, the same uh, thing. Getting the chains, David. It's like I thought the same thing. Uh, uh, maybe I thought the same thing. Uh, maybe it's. I mean, we know Julia has a thing for Barnabas, uh, as we'll see, but I don't even know if at this point in the script no, that's it's, really it's even not noticed. Set up yet. It's not yeah, set up yeah. yet. So it's weird that she would like and yeah. If, if it was something where it's like Maggie tells her this and then Julia like checks Barnabas out and like investigates Barnabas a little bit and sees whether he's a vampire and then decides what to do. Yeah. It's not like that. It's just completely like first impressions oh that's impossible yeah you're crazy there's this no is, such thing as vampires it's not in keeping with what julia would do um, yeah it's it's not in keeping with what the characters already know about the supernatural yeah exactly uh it's it's not in keeping because barnabas is of course not a mortal i am and i need to take a brief uh break oh sure um, yeah please go on I'll okay. be back in a moment. Okay, we'll do. We'll we'll continue on here. I'm I'm on page okay. seven. We're yeah, the we're almost halfway. <laughs> As I mentioned at the top of the episode, this is indeed going to be a two-parter. So we're going to stop it there, and I invite you to return next time to Terror at Collinwood to hear about the second half of the John August screenplay. And for as long as they lived, the dark shadows never truly vanished, for there will always be Terror at Collinwood. Terror at Collinwood is a Penny Dreadful production.